Good morning, good morning, Rabbi Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated in loving memory of Ezra Zare. Alava Shalom, Shmat Ezra ben Baba. For his Askara, sponsored by his grandson, Emmanuel Zare. Hazaku Baruch. The learning for this week is dedicated by the Torah Center Diamond Donors, Tatiana and Sonny Dur, in loving memory, and Lilun Shmat Sonny's father, Eli Dur, Eliyahu ben Sion, Vifaride. Uh, also, Breakfast in the Class is dedicated uh, uh, anonymously for her Hebrew birthday. Happy birthday. And uh, she would like also to uh, incorporate a very beautiful uh, message uh, in her dedication, which uh, is also going to hopefully intertwine with our shiur today, uh, a little bit later in the shiur. Please only answer Amen if you're listening to this live. Baruch Atah let us begin. Mark, you got to be careful. I'm reading all the signs. I almost made Barakarona. Okay. The, the, uh, the parasha begins with the words, And you should command the B'nai Israel, the Jewish people. Now, the Baal Turim writes that from the beginning of the Torah until this point, right, once Moshe Rabbeinu was born, Moshe's name is not absent from a parasha other than this one. Right? Obviously, in Devarim, you'll find also parashiot that don't have Moshe's name in it, because Moshe is talking, right? But other than those parashiot, there isn't a parasha that doesn't have Moshe's name in it. That's what the Baal Turim writes. And what's the reason for this? How come Moshe was nishmat, was left out of this parasha? What's the reason? The Chachamim tell us a very powerful idea. They say that when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Shamaim after the sin of the golden calf, he asked HaKadosh Baruch to forgive the Jewish people. And he said, very clearly, he said to God, V'im ayin, and if you do not forgive them, Mecheni na mesifrecha asher katavta. Erase me from the book that you have written. That's what Moshe said. Now we're familiar with a concept that we've discussed uh, uh, earlier. And the concept is, Kililat tzadik, the curse of a tzadik, Afilu al tenai mitkayem. Even when it's said on a condition, comes true. So as an example, let's say a tzaddik says to a person, listen, you should uh, you know, lose all your money if you don't uh, participate in this tzedakah campaign. I mean, I don't know why, which tzaddik would say that. But if a tzaddik would say that to somebody, then even if the person contributes, he still loses his money. Because the, the tzaddik gave a kilala. And what's the reason for this, uh, for this happening? Because when a tzaddik is so careful with his language all throughout his life. He never says something that's untrue. He never promises something he doesn't deliver. His tefillah is from the depths of his heart. Then any word that he says, just like in his world, his words are a reality, Bore Olam also makes sure that when words come out of his mouth, they become a reality. So if he said the words of Kilala to someone, even if he afterwards qualified those words with some form of a condition, it's too late. Those words have become a reality in this world. Fascinating idea. And to prove this point, the Gemara brings examples. The first example that's brought is the example of Rachel Imenu. That, Rachel, that with Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov says, unbeknownst to him, Rachel is the one that's taken the idols of Lavan. He says, and the one who's taken, your idols should die. He thought that Levan was accusing him, you know, 
uh, falsely, like so many times before. In truth, it was Rachel who took them, and Chazal tell us that that's one of the reasons why Rachel passes away young. Second example is with Yehuda. Yehuda says to his father, If not, chatati kol hayamim. I will have sinned to you all the days of my life. And what happens? In the aftermath of that, Chazal tell us that the bones of Yehuda are rattling in his, in his uh, coffin when they're transporting him to Israel because of the words that he uttered about himself. So you see, not only is Kilat Sadiq uh, about someone else come true, it even comes true about the Sadiq himself. My friends, I want to first of all underline the idea of how careful a person needs to be when they speak negatively about themselves. Oh, forget it. That's it, I lost this deal. I lost my pants, chalas. I probably lost at least a million dollars on this deal. You're saying those words. Look, I don't know if you think you're a sadiq, but I for sure think you're a sadiq. I call you a sadiq all the time. You have to be very careful with the words that you say. Number one, first lesson. Second lesson, I know people are wondering, how could it be? Surely God has a filter. Surely God knows. Look, he didn't mean it. He said on condition. Well, God can't figure it out. The answer to that is, that's not a God problem. That's a you problem. And let me explain what I mean by that. Imagine you stab someone in the heart, and then you thought it was a, what's it called, Hamas terrorist. Turns out, it was a good friend of yours, Bar Menan. We know now that in the aftermath of the, of the, the attack uh, down in the south, that there were people, soldiers, that died from friendly fire. It was chaos, you don't know what's going on. It's unfortunate reality of the fog of war. You don't always know what's going on. You can't always tell 100% what's going on. Does the guy come back to life because he didn't mean to kill him? Of course not. If there's a reality to the fact that when you stab someone, they die, there's a reality to the fact that your words have power. And if a person understands that with regards to their tefillah, with regards to their berakha, and barmenan lahavdil, with regards to their kilala, then unfortunately, it's a reality. Even if uh, the person says it on a condition. So number one, the importance of being so careful with our words. However, the main thrust of what I want to talk about today is not the importance of words. If Moshe Rabbeinu said, erase me from the book that you wrote, why does God choose this parasha to eliminate Moshe Rabbeinu's name? The Vilna Gaon says, in almost every single year, the parasha in which Moshe Rabbeinu's birthday and Yortzai falls out in is parasha Tetzaveh. This year is one of the rare conditions where it's off by a couple days, right? Moshe Rabbeinu's birthday was the end of last week, right? We're in the ninth today, I believe, in the ninth of Adar, Moshe Rabbeinu passed away on Zayin Adar. So off by two days. But in almost every year in the calendar, Moshe Rabbeinu's birthday falls out in Parashat Tetzaveh, and the day he passed away. That's one reason. But however, the Chachamim bring two more explanations, two more ideas that relate back to this, uh, to why Hashem chose this parashat. What were the words of Moshe? And look how careful we said, a person needs to be with their language. Because look how middakdek Hashem is with the exact words of Moshe. The Sefer Divret Sadikim writes, in the name of the Vilna Gaon, he says that if you look the book, it says, Erase me from the book that you wrote. The word Sifrecha, if you break it into two, is the word Sefer Chaf. The 20th book, the 20th parasha of the Torah, from the beginning of the Torah is Parashat Tetzaveh. So Moshe said, Sifrecha, Sefer Chaf is Parashat Tetzaveh. I was like, wow. But then I saw 
A second idea that he brings in the Sefer Midrashoshel uh, Shem, the Sefer Otzrot HaTorah brings down, that he says, Asher Katafta. Asher is Aleph Shin Resh, exactly 501. 501 is the exact gematria of the word Tetzaveh. So in each word that Moshe Rabbeinu said, God found a way to be able to pinpoint it to the parashah of Tetzaveh. However, my friends, I think and I feel that these answers, they tell us why, why it's this parashah. Why it winds up. But is that all it is? It's the 20th parashah because he said Sefer Chaf. It's parashah Tetzaveh because it's Gematria Asher. Is that it? I think there's maybe perhaps something a little bit more tying this concept to Moshe Rabbeinu. And I want to start by asking, it's a strange thing that Moshe Rabbeinu says. What is he saying to Hashem in truth? They've done a sin. Hashem is saying they deserve to be wiped out. What's your argument here? Wipe them out. Or were you threatening God? And how are you threatening Him? You're threatening Him that He should erase you from the Torah? That's not how threats work. <laughs> what should he, how should he threaten God? Figure out some other way where the threat is something. What is Moshe saying? And if not... So I want to share something which I think is really fine, which I think is really interesting. Many times you find when the Sadiqim would pray, they would say, If I find favor in your eyes, not only is it a term that's used in prayer from Sadiqim to God, you also find it in the Pesukim where people are using it to convince people. If I found favor in your eyes, right? Please find me a person, uh, that find me this guy who will be able to sell me uh, the Marata Machmela. You find it by Esther. Esther. Many times, if I found favor in your eyes, please. What are they saying when they're saying this? What they're telling the person is, if you like me, if we have a relationship, please, can you do this for me? Moshe Rabbeinu says to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem, you're judging the Jewish people. But when you're judging the Jewish people, who else are you judging? You're judging me too. I'm not saying to you, God, if you can't forgive the Jewish people, I demand you remove my name. That's not what he's saying. Moshe was telling HaKadosh Baruch Hu, on some level, even if you wrote my name in the book, my name would be erased. Why? Because Moshe Rabbeinu's job, what is he called? We sing in the song, Moshe is called the Ro'e Ne'eman. Raya Mehemna. He's called the trustworthy shepherd. Moshe says to God, if the people that I was given the job, uh, if I was given the job to, to lead these people out, to take them into the land of Israel, if I did not do my job, then what will happen? Writing my name in the Torah as the leader of the Jewish people is effectively, I'm erased from your Torah as a leader. I will not be considered the leader that you are calling me, that you've asked of me to be. And God, if I find favor in your eyes, do I deserve that? Listen carefully. Al-Chachamim tell us something unbelievable. 
One of the tricks that a person can rely on when it comes to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is if he wants to write, get written in the book of life, the Chachamim tell us, make yourself indispensable to the tzibur, to the community. You know why? Because even if on your own merit, you do not deserve another year. If the community needs you, then God is not only punishing you when He punishes you, He's punishing the community. And does the community deserve to lose you? Fascinating. So Moshe Rabbeinu was saying, even if God, you want to wipe them out, but if I find favor in your eyes, my friends, so what is God's answer to this? It is fascinating. The answer to me is fascinating. Hashem says to Moshe, I'm okay, we're going to save the Jews. But the words that you said are still going to find fulfillment. And where do they find fulfillment? In this week's parasha. Parasha Tetzaveh not only is Gematria 501, not only is the 20th parasha, but is the parasha which deals with the creation of the Bigdei Kehuna. And the pasuk tells us that what is the function of the Bigdei Kehuna? Le'aron u'banaf Aharon and his children as kavod wultifaret. It is the honor and the glory of Aharon and his sons, the Kohanim. God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, there's something else that you lost. What else did Moshe Rabbeinu lose? Kihuna. When did Moshe Rabbeinu lose the Kihuna? He complained and complained and complained to Hashem. He's like, Hashem, please send somebody else. I don't want to do it. It's not, not for me. I can't speak. Until it says that Hashem was angry with Moshe. And he told him, he told him off. The Chachamim tell us that you never find an anger of God without an imprint. And they ask, and what was the imprint from that action, from that anger? What's the answer? The answer was that he lost the kiuna to Aharon. And I found this so beautiful. Aharon, it says, when he goes out to meet his brother, He saw you and he rejoiced. Aharon was filled with joy. That what? That Moshe Rabenu was given uh, the job, even though not him. And in fact, the reward for a heart that was filled with joy, that his brother had gotten the role, and not him, that heart wears upon itself. The Urim V'tumim has upon itself the Choshen Ha'ifod. And it says in the Pasuk that it should be on, worn on his heart always. That heart that Allah had love for his brother. What HaKadosh Baruch Hu was illustrating was that that gift of kiuna was given in a word to a worthy person. Right? It was given to honor Aharon. Why? Because Aharon's heart was there for his brother. Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, the same way Aharon was given a tremendous reward for putting his brother first. Moshe Rabbeinu, I want you to understand something. You're going to be rewarded for losing something. Aharon was rewarded for losing the position of leader and he was given 
the position of Kohen. And on some level, one could argue that what was given to Aharon was better than what was given to Moshe. How long does the gift of leadership last in Moshe's family? One generation. But when it came to Aharon, who gave up with a whole heart, Mivater, what happens to that Kehuna? It's Laharon Ulbanav, forever. It goes down to Elazar Cohen and from him, and it's gone, and on, and on, and on, and on. In fact, when Moshe sees that the Kehuna is passed on to his children, he asks Hashem, what about mine? Can I pass it on to my children? And they weren't worthy in the same way. And Hashem says, I have in mind Yahushua, someone else. My friends, Moshe was also rewarded for giving up. What did Moshe give up? If you look carefully in the Pesukim, what did God say to Moshe? He said, stand aside and I will rebuild Am Yisrael through you. Had Moshe not stood up for the Jewish people, what would Am Yisrael have become? They would have become gone and there would have been a new beginning and it would all be through the descendants of Moshe Rabbeinu. That would have been the Jewish people. A lesser man might have jumped at the chance to become one of the Avot. To have no competition. To start again. No Erev Rav, no, no Micha, no Datan, no Aviram, no people who sinned or didn't say anything by the Egel. But Moshe Rabbeinu gives up the chance to be the father of all of Am Yisrael. Why? Because he's a Ro'eh Ne'eman. So God says, in order to give you the reward, you have to lose something. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find a way to express this loss. By taking Moshe Rabenu's name from the parasha, what does God do? He takes the sacrifice that Moshe has in his heart and his mind, and he gives it a tiny expression. And where does he choose to, to put that in the parasha where Aharon got, because he stepped aside for Moshe, to teach us that Moshe would get, because he stepped aside for Am Yisrael. Fascinating. Al-Chachamim tell us that if you look at how many Pesukim are in this week's parasha, you'll find that there are exactly 101 Pesukim in this week's parasha. Gematria Michael. That's what they say. That's also one of the reasons why, as wise, when we go up to the Torah, we give 101, Michael. Why Michael? It's not just one of the angels. He's considered to be the guardian angel of the Jewish people. Mimini Michael. On the right hand of Am Yisrael is Michael. He's the guardian angel, the defending angel in the heavenly court. Michael is the angel of the Jewish people. Our Chachamim say that Moshe, with this decision, became, so to speak, the angel Michael. And the nature of the angels is that they fulfill their mission without being seen. So Moshe Rabbeinu, in this week's parasha, goes incognito. He goes undercover. But he's mentioned. Uh, he's mentioned there. My friends, <clears throat> I want to just say, if I can, 
One last idea that is based on this. There are moments in a person's life where a person achieves everything. And the moment doesn't need to be so long. How long does it take for Aharon to smile at Moshe? Instead of frowning. A split second. Ah, Moshe, mazal tov. Congratulations, Azaka Baruch on the job. Maybe it takes 10 seconds. He acquires Kiunaf himself, his children, for his children's children until the end of generations. In a second. In the language of the Gemara, you know what that's called? Yesh kone olamo There are people who acquire their entire world in this world and in Gareden, in one hour, in one moment. Okay? And there's some that they acquire their world over a lifetime. Yesh kone olamo in one, in one hour, or in one minute, or in one moment. Moshe Rabbeinu, when he says, all of us are looking at this, we're like, wow, I can't believe it. He's disappeared. The Chachamim tell us that this moment for Moshe Rabbeinu was the moment where he was metaken his nefesh. The Zohar writes that the soul of Moshe is a Gilgul, a reincarnation of the soul of Noach. And the blame that we put on Noah for not having saved the people of his generation through prayer, that's why the Navi in Yeshaya says about the flood, they called May Noah, says the Zohar, May Noah is the same letters as the word Mecheni. So he turns around, he's metaken, he fixes the problem he came back to this world in order to fix. That's the concept. Of this moment, yesh kone olamo, literally, in one second. My friends, sometimes the one second that you acquire your life in is something which is immediately evident to you. You know how heavy this lift is. You know how difficult this moment is. And you know what? Even still, you power forward. You smash through. You ever have that? You have a moment, a decision, an opportunity, and you know, oh my gosh, this is such a difficult test. There's so much that I could achieve, but it's not 100% kosher. I could do this deal, I'll never need to work again, but I have to bend my principles a little bit. It's not really the wrong thing. Your brain starts getting, kicking into high gear. One time I learned the Gemara, maybe it says it's mutar. Your brain starts spinning plates. You know that if you do this, you know that this is one of those moments. You imagine Rachel Imenu in the moment after she's given away Yaakov to Leah. And then she asks Leah, can I have the flowers? And Leah says to her, is it not enough that you took my husband, but you want the flowers too? And Rachel bites her tongue. You know that that's a moment of Yesh Kone Olamo B'Sha'echat. But my friends, what's interesting is that there are people who acquire the olam haba, the tikkun, their zechut, in a moment that they didn't even realize was a moment. I'll give you an example. In our world, there's this crazy thing that we have called the internet. It has a lot of terrible things that can come from it. But used correctly, sometimes 
There are amazing things that can happen because we're all connected. In any other generation, this class would not be going out to the however many people it is at this moment every single day. This could never be done. I mean, just so you, how many people are in this room right now? 20 people. It's around somewhere between, I don't know the exact number, but between eight or 9,000 people a day are watching this class with us. Do you know how that started? 9,000 people should watch a class every day. Do you know how that started? Robert Marcus was sitting in a class when I first became the rabbi and we had one table there for breakfast. It was over there in the corner. And he came to the class, right? It was at the time when I was doing different minyan. Now he prays early every day. But at the time, he was there every day for the class. And he was traveling, I think, for business. And he didn't want to miss the class. So he said, Rabbi, please could you record the class for me? I think he was gone for two days. I recorded the first day, I sent it to him. I recorded the second in audio. I recorded the second day. And I said to him, and all of a sudden I thought, you know something, I'm recording it anyway. Maybe there's someone else besides for just Robert Marcus that might want to listen. Maybe there'll be two people that will listen. So I asked the, anyone, if anyone wants, I'm going to start this little group. And that's, and that's how it started. I, I wish Robert Marcus a very long and healthy life. He deserves it. Special guy. Hopefully Mashiach will come before and he never needs to die. <laughs> but, but if Mashiach does not come and he lives to the ripe old age of 120 and he sees children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and he comes up with Tishamayim with a smile on his face, a life well-lived, and he's greeted in Shamayim with an army. I mean, I can't do the math in my head. But let's say 9,000 people a day from now until he's 120. He'd be greeted by millions. Huh? 150 million people are going to be standing there singing as he walks into Gan Eden. Could you just understand? Can we just understand what that means? It will turn out that Robert Marcus may have taught more Torah because of that one question which led to a revolution. Sometimes you don't know what your yesh kone olamo b'sha'echat is. We have a rabbi here. He's putting out Mishnah Birra in English. Someone sponsors a volume as an example. Then someone learns that halakha, teaches it to his children. A rabbi shares it in a halakha. It's explosive, the growth. It's exponential. Now, for those of you who like to invest, you'll know one thing. Anything that everyone's investing in, that's not where the money is. You got to find something that nobody's investing in. You want to find a company that's in the startup phase. You want to find something that people don't believe in. You make that happen, that's when you have equity. That's when you're the reason it happened. My friends, mitzvot and Torah are no different. And what Moshe Rabbeinu does, and what Aharon HaKohen does, it takes a second. It's a story of one sentence. 
of one moment. What is that moment for you? So the question is, is there something that can be done that takes a split second, that's very easy, that doesn't cost anything? And I want to share with you what I mentioned earlier, our birthday girl suggested. She said, imagine that you have 86,400 seconds in a day. And you hear a class, whether it's this class, breakfast in the class, or any class, and there's something that strikes you, something that makes you think, you know what, you know, my father would really love this. My best friend really needs to hear this. You find a clip that's been cut down, it's 90 seconds, it's a minute. It's easy. All they need to do when they get one of these little clips is put it on in the amount of time it takes to heat up the, to, the kumkum, to boil the water for their coffee. They could watch that 90 second clip and it was exactly what they needed to hear. They're going through something and you sent them a clip about emunah. They're going through something. You talk to them about growing through, you sent them a clip about growing through sar. Today we have the ability by forwarding someone, even if we don't have the words to share with them, but we heard the words in a class. You brought them Torah. You made Kiddush Hashem. You raised their spirits. Is there anything more beautiful than being Mizakeh Rabim? You don't have to forward it. Some people feel stichy. They don't want to put a Torah class on their Instagram. And I don't know, it makes me look too religious. You don't have to share it publicly. You could share it in a WhatsApp message. You could share it in an iMessage. You could share it in an email. You could write up the main points and send it to them in a text, however you want. But in one second, by forwarding something to somebody where you think it's what they need to hear, isn't that enough? You found something that made you smile. You forward it to someone that you know is down. And you just write, I know you could use a laugh. And you send them a little joke, a little funny video that you saw. It means that you're thinking about them. It means that they are in your heart. And with that split second, you can raise somebody uh, from a very deep and a very dark place. Who knows if what you're doing doesn't change their life forever. God bless Mark. Guy sitting next to him in shul. On the first day he comes in, makes him feel comfortable. It's happened with a few people. Um, if I'm not correct, you tell me. The guy feels comfortable because someone said hello to him. Avi Oster. At our Siyum the other day, Mesechim Megillah. A few people said, I came to shul, didn't know what was going on. Someone came up to me, welcomed me with a smile. They asked me if I need a book. That guy keeps coming to shul. That guy marries someone. That guy builds a family. That family builds a family, each one of them. In Shamaim, every one of those people gets credited to that good morning that you gave the person in Shul. So the question you have to ask yourself is, do I want to be the person that is erased from the book because I missed my opportunity? Or do I want to be the person who their entries are written, my name is written not just in my book, but in his book, in his children's book, in his children's children. When you support a Talmud Chacham, and that Talmud Chacham becomes a rabbi, I've mentioned this already a few times, we have, I'm very proud of, in our community, we have a few Talmidei Chachamim in Israel that are studying to become rabbis, that are being sponsored for the three years or four years that it takes by people in this community. Doesn't have to be one in a little bit every month, the amount that it takes to be able to sponsor someone. This man is going to become a rabbi. 
He's going to lead a community. All those people are going to have families. That's you. That's your sefer with your name. That's something incredible. But my friends, it's not only money. It's a smile. It's welcoming someone. It's teaching someone the right way. When a person does that the right way, the dividends are unbelievable. And you know what the best thing about those dividends is? They're tax-free. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen. <laughs>